Beth Bennett, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. In this week's show, we'll give you some of the top science stories of 2021. Hold on to your seats. There's some really exciting news. The top story of 2020 was the development of two mRNA COVID vaccines in record time. This year's top COVID story is that so many people in the U.S. and the rest of the world are resisting being vaccinated. As of December 21st, roughly 73% of the U.S. population had received one dose, and roughly 61% had been fully vaccinated. These low rates fueled a deadly summer surge driven by the highly contagious Delta variant. Experts pointed out that vaccination rates lag due to widespread disinformation and misinformation campaigns. In November, the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine for children as young as five, providing another barrier against the deadly disease spread, and COVID rates declined. But with the spread of the new Omicron variant, it looks like boosters will be critical to maintain immunity. In much of the rest of the world, there's been limited access to the vaccine. Only 8% of individuals in low-income countries have received at least one dose of the vaccine, and the WHO report from Africa this fall said that on that continent, less than 10% of countries would hit the goal of vaccinating at least 40% of their citizens by the end of the year. Globally, less than 60% of the population has been vaccinated. The holes in vaccination coverage will allow the virus to continue to kill a large number of individuals and allow an environment where possibly other dangerous variants will emerge. The second big news of the year, also relating to the coronavirus, is the development of oral treatments for the disease. Yes, that means pills. Almost a year after the first clinical trials on the mRNA vaccines were completed, Merck released promising interim test results from a phase three trial of an antiviral pill. The data showed that the drug, called monopiravir, cut hospitalizations in half. In mid-November, the UK jumped ahead of the US and granted approval for the treatment. By late November, advisors to the FDA recommended emergency authorization of the pill, although it was shown by this time to reduce death or disease by 30, not 50%. The drug has to be started within five days of the first symptoms. It works by disrupting the virus's ability to replicate effectively inside a human cell. But molnupiravir wasn't the only viral drug released last year. In November, Pfizer announced its antiviral pill called Paxlovid, and it was shown to be effective against severe COVID. By December, the pharmaceutical giant released data showing that it reduced the risk of hospitalization and death by 88%. Though the drugs aren't as big of a breakthrough as the vaccines, they are an important development as they are expected to work against all versions of the virus, including Omicron. 
Many wealthy countries have already agreed to contracts for Molnupiravir, and the Gates Foundation pledged $120 million to help get the pill to poor countries. If approved and distributed fast enough, the oral antivirals can be prescribed in places like Africa, where vaccines have been lacking. Remember, pills don't have the same stringent storage conditions as the vaccines. The pills represent yet another crucial tool, in addition to masks and vaccines, in the fight against COVID. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth. We're going over some of the top science news from 2021. Up next, How on Earth volunteer Benita Lee describes some truly mind-blowing advances in neuroscience. Two science stories from 2021 described brain implants that might someday bring connection to people unable to participate in life in ways that many take for granted. In a study from UC San Diego, researchers worked towards creating a vocal prosthesis for people who've lost the ability to speak. Since birds use language in ways similar to humans, the researchers focused on zebra finches. First, scientists recorded the movements in the birds' vocal organs when they sang. These movements were converted into computer algorithms. Brain implants were then used to record the electrical activity of neurons that control those same singing muscles. When the brain activity recordings were fed into the computer algorithms, out came the songs of the finches in their unique voices. In other words, scientists were able to translate the song that a bird was thinking about singing into audio of that song. If developed for people, this technology could be life-changing. The second brain implant story was from the University of California, San Francisco. A 36-year-old woman with severe depression received a custom brain implant that relieved her symptoms. Scientists initially implanted temporary thin wire electrodes into the woman's brain. The implant detected that depression was triggered by fast gamma waves showing up in an area of the brain that controls emotions. Researchers then sought a way to stop depression symptoms. While they were activating an area of the woman's brain with electrical probes, she felt joy. The area is called the ventral capsule ventral striatum, or VCVS. Surgeons implanted a more permanent device there. The implant detects when gamma waves are high and responds with a tiny jolt to the VCVS. The patient later said the little zaps, while not noticeable, changed her worldview and her life felt easier. It's too early to say whether these brain studies will lead to widely used implants for people, but it's exciting to imagine how this work might help people bring their full selves into the world. For How on Earth, I'm Benita Lee.
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth. We're going over some of the top science news from 2021. Up next, Anjel Shang describes a remarkable advance in gene therapy using the CRISPR gene editing system. The future of gene editing is here. Gene editing using CRISPR-Cas9 allows scientists to make precise changes to DNA, and it is revolutionizing medicine. The 2021 results from patients with sickle cell disease were very encouraging. First, a quick unpacking of CRISPR. In 2020, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry was awarded to the two scientists, Jennifer Doudna from UC Berkeley and Emmanuel Charpentier from the Max Planck Unit for the Science of Pathogens in Germany for their work on CRISPR. Doudna and Charpentier developed the gene editing techniques from nature, specifically bacteria that are able to defend themselves from a viral attack by editing their own DNA. The bacteria capture some of the viral genetic material and they insert it into their own genetic material. This gives them some immunity. CRISPR, as it's known, is an acronym and it stands for a mouthful. It's called Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. This refers to the pattern in which it's shown in the genetic material. In Walter Isaacson's book, The Codebreaker, published in 2021, Isaacson provides a history of how the two scientists and many others discovered CRISPR in bacteria, including those used in yogurts, and developed into gene editing for other purposes. But gene editing comes with many ethical questions. Where does a society draw the line? What are the unintended consequences? These are complex issues that scientists and policymakers are unraveling and debating. But there is one genetic condition that nearly everyone can rally around for a cure using gene editing, and that is sickle cell disease. And in 2021, this got exciting. Sickle cell is one of the most common genetic conditions worldwide. Unlike some diseases that involve a complex interplay of multiple genes, sickle cell involves a single point mutation in the DNA that codes for the hemoglobin protein. That single mutation alters the hemoglobin protein structure as well as the red blood cells so that they are more rigid, arc-shaped, and stick together. This causes clumping of red blood cells, especially in narrow blood vessels, leading to physical pain, organ damage, anemia, and frequent infections. In the past, a stem cell transplant could be used, but that required finding a bone marrow transplant from someone with a close match. That is not easy to do. It is for these reasons that sickle cell, which is a debilitating disease caused by that single mutation and affects so many people from historically underserved populations in the US that made sickle cell a great disease candidate for gene editing. So can CRISPR cure sickle cell disease? Well, in 2021, scientists reported some promising results from small trials that began in 2019, and they have people excited. 
In the initial studies, the strategy was to remove the gene that suppresses fetal hemoglobin. Now, by doing that, the adult patients continue to make fetal hemoglobin when normally that would be suppressed. And it's fetal hemoglobin that's free from the mutation as opposed to adult hemoglobin that contains it. So the seven patients who underwent this therapy are now pain-free, and because of the success of these initial studies, scientists have become much more confident. This is enough for the FDA to approve of large-scale clinical trials, which are expected to take four years. These will be led by physicians at UCSF Children's Hospital in Oakland and UCLA's Broad Stem Cell Research Center. The first trials knocked out that gene that suppresses fetal hemoglobin, which was free from defect. But the new trials underway in 2021 are different and are known as a gene knock-in. It will use CRISPR to not only take out the defective gene, but it will replace it with a repaired gene, creating normal adult red blood cells. Either way, a patient is his or her own stem cell donor avoiding the problem of finding a donor match. Scientists are also working to improve the technique so that the gene correction can be done inside the body without removing stem cells. This would make the process much better so that instead of infusing corrected cells back into a patient's bone marrow, which can cause complications, the therapy could be directed at the bone marrow inside the body. We look forward to reporting more on gene therapy for sickle cell disease in 2022. For KGNU's How on Earth, I'm Jill Shong. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth. We're going over some of the top science news from 2021. Up next, Joel Parker tells us about the new James Webb Telescope, which launched Christmas Day. Perhaps not just a highlight of the year, as it is a highlight of the past three decades, the James Webb Space Telescope, or JWST, successfully launched on Christmas Day. Originally called the Next Generation Space Telescope, the concept was born back in 1989 at a workshop of more than 130 astronomers and engineers. In 1996, a committee of astronomers and independent study teams recommended that NASA develop a large infrared space telescope as a successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. Finally, in 2002, NASA selected the teams to build the instruments and oversee the project. That year, it was also named the James Webb Space Telescope after NASA's early administrator who oversaw the Apollo program to land on the moon. In 1997, the goal was to launch JWST in 2007 at a total cost of $500 million. However, 
after it then went through a rigorous design process which made clear the difficulties of such a project, by the time of the formal step of the preliminary design review in 2008, the estimated cost had grown to $5 billion with a projected launch date of 2014. Subsequent technical and management issues, schedule delays, and threats of cancellation finally led to a total cost of $9.7 billion and a launch at the end of 2021. Since 2003, JWST accounted for a third of NASA's Astrophysics Division budget. Similar issues plagued the Hubble Space Telescope, which ended up being incredibly successful, meeting and surpassing the hopes of the scientific achievements it would enable and how it has transformed our view of the universe and our place in it. JWST is similarly expected to revolutionize science. The telescope, a collaboration between NASA and the European and Canadian space agencies, will peer to some of the farthest galaxies, some that formed 3.6 billion years ago, just a couple hundred million years after the Big Bang. It will be able to measure the composition of the atmospheres of planets around other stars to understand if they are capable of supporting life like Earth and measure properties of planets and small bodies in the outer part of our own solar system at sensitivities never before achieved to understand better the solar system's formation and evolution. The telescope's mirror is nearly 6.6 meters across, that's over 21 feet, and is comprised of 18 hexagonal segments. By comparison, Hubble's single mirror is about 2.4 meters across, or less than 8 feet, giving JWST a light-collecting area more than six times that of Hubble. The unfolding of that mirror is just one of the nearly 350 critical steps over the next few weeks after launch as different parts of the telescope have to deploy. So far, the activities have gone as planned, and as of today, JWST has extended the towers supporting the mirror and deployed the sun shields that will keep the telescope cool. Steps remaining over the next couple weeks include tensioning the five layers of sunshield, deploying the secondary and primary mirrors, and do test movements of the primary mirror segments, which will allow engineers to configure the mirror to the desired shape. To position the primary mirror segments to act as though they are a single large mirror requires that each mirror segment be aligned to a fraction of the wavelength of light, just tens of nanometers, or about one ten-thousandth of the diameter of a human hair. You can follow the progress of the telescope and eventually the science it performs at jwst.nasa.gov. For How on Earth, this is Joel Parker.
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth. We're going over some of the top science news from 2021. Up next, Shelley Schlender tells us about some amazing battery technology, homegrown right here in Boulder. One of the biggest stories of 2021 was the effort to make more things that usually run on gas instead run on electricity. That includes for transportation. How far you can drive in a car with an electric battery makes some buyers reluctant to make the switch to electric cars. Breakthroughs in science and technology, however, may increase consumer confidence, including a major breakthrough from a Boulder County tech company. As for where things stand right now, some electric vehicles can drive over 600 kilometers with batteries that fully recharge in about an hour. Those batteries contain liquid lithium ions plus a soft carbon known as graphite. But breakthroughs in electric car batteries are on the horizon. A new lithium-ion battery replaces graphite with silicon. That's sand. From Silicon Valley in California. Sela's battery debut is starting small with the Whoop Fitness Tracker. John Capitolupo is co-founder of Whoop. This allows for, in our case, about 20% extra energy density in our battery. John Capitolupo says Sela's battery provides plenty of power, helping the latest version of the fitness tracker. And we also added new features and sensors, such as skin temperature and blood oxygen level sensors. But it's not just for fitness trackers. By 2025, Sela plans to sell car batteries that will extend electric vehicles' range of travel 40% before needing recharging and without adding weight. Across the pond from the U.S. in Great Britain, a metal called niobium may help electric vehicle batteries charge fast for a 200-kilometer drive. Mark Newman with Niobolt, the maker of the niobium-based battery, spoke over Zoom. For a shorter-range EV, we can have a full charge with our batteries in five or six minutes. Mark Newman says the Niobolt battery may also be great for acceleration. Here in Boulder County, solid powers batteries are solid state, meaning no liquid parts. Doug Campbell is the chief executive of Solid Power. We are replacing the liquid electrolyte that's used in a conventional lithium-ion battery with a solid ion-conducting material. Doug Campbell says if an electric vehicle's range is 500 kilometers, a same-size solid power battery will let the car drive over 700 kilometers. Plus, its non-liquid makeup prevents fires. It reduces chances for vehicle uh, recalls, which of course we're seeing right now with Hyundai and General Motors. Solid Power plans batteries for consumer cars by 2025. If we're successful, we're, we're going to have a role in enabling vehicle electrification. That gets me up in the morning. That's exciting. One of the biggest challenges for all these battery makers is to go from small test size models of their batteries to ones that are big enough to power a car plus production facilities that can handle making lots of batteries. These companies and more are working on it. All these innovators say the world will benefit from breakthrough batteries, for reducing air pollution and greenhouse gas. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender. for this edition of How on Earth. Beth Bennett produced this week's show. Many of the usual suspects contributed headlines. Benita Lee, Joel Parker, Angel Jean, and me, Shelley Schlender. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music by Ludwig von Beethoven. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and links in the show notes. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. 
For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.